As uh, Father Curtis mentioned, I congratulate everyone on being here <laughs> this evening. Since there's a, some kind of a storm approaching, so, but you know, here's the, uh, I don't know, the remnant or the, uh, whatever, the chosen ones. So thank you, thank you for being here. I wish I could say that I'll give you some kind of an indulgence or something, especially for tonight, but I, I don't think that's probably kosher. <laughs> It'll probably work out. But anyway, it's good to be here and, uh, and uh, we have this uh, a little bit of time now to, to pray and reflect upon uh, the Word of God. Um, we're continuing through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and we're going to be looking at and praying about 20 verses. Uh, and these are the ones just following. We've had the transfiguration at the top of the mountain. Then we come down into the experience of, of suffering and of pain at the bottom of the mountain, which is where we live most of the time. Uh, and we need this experience up above and then down below. And now the Lord and the disciples move away from there. And they're heading now towards the suffering, death, and resurrection of the Lord. We're moving into next week or next month into uh, chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark, and then it's on from there on to um, the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord. And so in this passage, as we prepare for that, we begin to have a, a foreshadowing of it. We have the second of the sort of uh, predictions of the passion. And the recognition that for a disciple, take up your cross is very crucial. It's a center of, of our life in Christ. It's right there. And then we have a whole series of little pieces uh, concerning the life of discipleship. What should we think of if we're to be disciples of Jesus on our way, on our way to the, the great uh, experience of the Paschal mystery? Uh, and that's the portion we have. And then we have a whole series of teachings uh, next, uh, when we move into chapter 10 next month, we uh, have some of the teachings on marriage. We have a teaching on discipleship uh, in this, this uh, portion. And then we continue a few more until finally we come right into uh, the passion itself. So that's the, where this is situated within the Gospel of Mark. And uh, so we'll begin now and uh, ask the Lord to help us to meditate, reflect, and draw ever more close to him through our meditation upon the holy words of sacred scripture. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us now ask the Lord to forgive us our sins, to take away from us any of those things which are a barrier to the pathway to our hearts, so that the Lord may come and enter in. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let us free our minds of those distractions, those worries and cares which so often occupy our hearts and minds and leave no room to be attentive to God or to neighbor or to God's holy word. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And now as always, as we enter into the word of God and let the word come to us, not just through the ears, but through the heart, Let's ask ourselves, as we listen to these holy words, 
What does this say to my head, to my heart, and to my hands? We're called above all to know, to love, and to serve God. So every time we meditate upon the word of God, we read it, I'll read it aloud, read it again, read it slowly, let it enter physically into our bodies, into our minds. But so what does it show me to help me know the Lord more clearly? How does it help me to love the Lord more dearly? And how does it help me to be a faithful servant of actually doing something in practice? What does this call me to do in my own life? Each one of us, it may be something different. We are all united in hearing the one word of God, but each one of us brings to it a, a different life. And so it is like one reality poured into different cups, each one shaped in a different way, but one reality poured into it. So we now listen to God's holy word. What does it say to our head, to our heart, and to our hands? They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he would not have anyone know it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they were silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. 
but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And they went on from there and passed through Galilee. So now he is on the road once more. They had had this experience with the, the glory of God. And then the healing of the man, the young child who was in such distress, but they're moving on. He's always on this journey as we are too on our own way, but he's going to Jerusalem where he will be crucified, betrayed, and ultimately he will rise in glory. He's on the road. In St. Luke's gospel, he's constantly referring on the way to Jerusalem. And you know, we are in our own way, on our way to Jerusalem, to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're on a journey, each one of us, like the desert journey of the Israelites in the Old Testament, the journey of the Lord to Jerusalem, to the moment of betrayal and passion and glory. Each one of us is on that journey too. And that's what it means to be a disciple, to journey with the Lord. We think of the image of journeying. The end of St. Luke's gospel, the journey of our Lord with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We're moving onward. We're not there yet. We're going and sometimes the journey is not a sweet and simple one. But in this case, he will speak of it as one that's leading to pain and suffering. To the cross. Elsewhere we hear, take up your cross and come follow me. The journey is a painful experience sometimes, a time of testing. We notice later on he speaks of temptation and testing. But here it is the testing of the disciples. He needs to get them ready as he prepares them for the great moment that will come. He wants to train them, help them to understand more fully what discipleship means, and we need to listen too. And he went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he would not have anyone know it, for he was teaching his disciples. He speaks to the crowds, but he's training his disciples so that they can speak for him later on, when finally, as they do not know it, he suffers, dies, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, and then it's going to be for them to, for us to carry on his work. He will entrust it to his disciples, and so now he's training them. I remember years ago when I, my mission as a priest, most priests want to spend their time, you know, we all want to be in a parish somewhere, being parish priests. That's what I thought I was getting in for when I was a seminarian. But, you know, you go where the Lord sends you. And sometimes you end up, uh, in my case, I spent 17 years as a seminary teacher preparing seminarians for the priesthood. And I never thought I'd be doing that, but that's what it was. But I remember a bishop came once, the Bishop of, of London, when I was where the seminary was, and he said, you know, all these seminary professors, they kind of worry they, they don't get to be in parishes. But the fact is, Jesus spent most of his time training seminarians training the disciples so that they could continue the work of shepherding his people. And that's what he's doing here. 
So it is um, a little consolation for people whose ministry has been in teaching in seminaries and preparing. And he would not have anyone know it, for he was teaching his disciples. He needs to be out there in the crowd on the journey. He's healing. He's just come from a moment where he was up on the, the mountaintop with a few of the disciples. Then he's down in the midst of the crowd and he's healing. He's there engaged. And now in a sense, he's not on the mountaintop again, but he's pulled back again a little bit. He's on the journey with a small group of disciples teaching them. That kind of rhythm between moving outward to the greater mission, pulling inward for the formation. We need sometimes to pull back. That's why where priests are trained is called a seminary or a seedbed. But we all need that a little bit in our life. If we're gonna be trained as disciples, we, we can't be out on the street pro proclaiming the Lord all the time. We have to pull back and experience the Lord teaching us in the house back there, how to be a disciple as he's doing in these, these words. And we need that day by day. That's why it's every day good to read the word of God. Let him teach us before we move out into action. Let it be in our head, in our hearts, before it's in our hands. Because you can't give what you haven't got. So he's, they're gonna have a lot coming to them. They're gonna have the crucifixion. They're gonna have all kinds of things. So they're gonna run away sadly, but he'll, he'll bring them back. But he's giving them the best preparation he can. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he would not have anyone know it. He wants a little privacy. This isn't exactly what we hear elsewhere in the Gospel of Mark about not letting people know that he is the Messiah. This is a little different. He wants to have a little time quietly together because he was teaching his disciples. Let's reflect a bit on our own life. How can we have teachable moments in our life as disciples? Not when we're out there engaged in our mission as disciples of Jesus, but where we have a little time to allow ourselves to be taught. Where in my life can I find that time, that place, that experience? Alone, quiet, hidden, to be prepared for the mission that awaits me outside the door. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he would not have anyone know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed after three days, he will rise. That's the teaching, not something glorious, but you're going to go through the experience he is moving forward to foreshadowing, giving a, a warning of the crucifixion that's coming. It's so astonishing compared to what they were talking about after they heard that, because obviously they didn't get the message. He was telling them, if you're gonna be a disciple of mine, I'm gonna go through the cross, I'm being betrayed. And one of them, of course, walking with them is the one who would do the betraying. Maybe he was also trying to reach out to Judas, to kind of give him a little heads up and say, Judas, do you really want to do this? He didn't force him, obviously, to turn back, but he invited him here. Maybe a little warning here. I wonder what Judas thought when he heard these words. I wonder. 
The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand. And still he taught them. And still he teaches us. We do not understand what he calls us to live. In that life of discipleship, it's sort of shallow discipleship. There's just no room for that, no time for that in this world of ours, dipping our toe into the pool of our faith. This is heavy duty discipleship he's talking about. They will kill me. That's what he's telling them. Remember our our symbol is the cross of Jesus Christ, not a happy face on a standard. That kind of faith is, just doesn't work. But they didn't understand. Why didn't they understand? Why don't we understand? That our faith requires of us much more than just a kind of a religious glow. He shows it to them in all the bleakness and the glory. And they just didn't understand. But they remembered, because we have it here. They remembered. And that's why we have it to reflect upon. And they're afraid to ask. Probably because while he was talking about take up your cross, they're talking about who's more important. I think I'd be a little ashamed myself if you're, they were too busy on other things. So now after he's given them that clear awareness of suffering, death, and resurrection, as they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Of course, he knew what they were discussing on the way. It wasn't suffering, death, and resurrection. They were skipping along the surface. They wanted to know, but they were silent. It's a good sign. Nothing better than good old Catholic guilt. <laughs> you know, I always say when Catholics, when it comes to guilt trips, we're frequent flyers. Guilt is good. Well, well, in a sense it is. Guilt is embarrassment. Guilt is, it's like the, the sort of the, the, the bell or whatever in the, in the smoke detector. We don't like it going off. It's an awful irritating sound. But it'll save our life. Guilt is like pain. Nobody wants pain because it's sort of a bad thing. But if I cut my hand and it feels bad, it's, it helps me to know not to keep on cutting. So guilt and pain are not good, but they are helpful signals to get us to stop and reflect. And they rightly feel embarrassed about what they were talking about. They feel guilty. That's a good sign. One of the worst things we can have, we can be scrupulous, too scrupulous in our life. We're guilty about everything. That's not good. That's a real struggle. And we sometimes need to tell people, don't worry, you're okay. On the other hand, sometimes, you know, if we're, if he's telling us about the crucifixion and all that, we don't understand that, but we want to say, who's on first, who's this, and am I bigger than you, better than you, my, then I think we should feel a little guilty. That's why I think that the Holy Father is giving us all kinds of little, little shots across the bow these days, you know, just make us think, oh, maybe I better think about that. But they were silent, for on the way they had discussed which one with one another, who was the greatest? Oh my gosh, who was the greatest? But you know, we get this 
in families, in parishes, in the church. You know, this kind of careerism the Holy Father talks about. But it's, it's not just in, you know, sort of fancy places. Who is the greatest? Who can, where they're comparing one another. And when they got all caught up into that, when you get too much centered on the ego, on the I, on the, you know, it's the center of the word pride and sin, both have I. When we become kind of self-absorbed, who is the greatest? But enough about me, let's talk about myself. <laughs> what a wonderful picture you have. Oh, it's a mirror. <laughs> you know, this is a problem. <laughs> when we kind of get so absorbed in ourselves, narcissism, you know, narcissists or whatever, who fell in love with the shadow or with the, the, the reflection in the, the water of himself. My own best friend, me. So they're all thinking, you know, I'm the best apostle. No, I'm the best apostle. When you get that kind of stuff, it brings division. Whenever there's pride and a kind of a arrogance or a sense of like that, it, and more than one person, even one person doing it, it's, it really brings division. Pride is the worst of all the sins. It's the first and the worst, and it stops us from getting rid of the other ones because we don't think we need it. I'm the best, I am the greatest. So if I'm the greatest, why are you criticizing me? Why are you pointing out my flaws? I need not repent. Remember that, if we, if we don't think we need we don't need to be transformed because we're just fine. I'm doing fine. That so we're in really deep trouble then. And so he sat them down and he called the 12. He said to them, that's the 12, that includes Judas. But all of them were asking, you know, thinking who was the greatest. If any would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone's gonna be the greatest, he's gotta be the last of all and the servant of all. That's really true. That's true in our life as Christians. It's true in whatever mission we have within the church. It's of course the title of the Pope, servant of the servants of God. But I think we all should have that, whatever our mission may be, not saying who's the greatest, if any would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Let's just look into our hearts now and spend a little quiet time. How often have we been like the disciples on the way, figuring how much better I am than someone else? Notice how we criticize other people. We see in them the faults we have in ourselves. They glare in another person, but we got them here. And we get divisions within communities because of this kind of ego, ego stuff. That's a problem. How often do we say, I am the greatest? Maybe not so obviously, but in fact are like that. Let's ask the Lord's forgiveness for that. And ask the Lord, do I have at least the decency to be ashamed when I try to be my own little egotistical self, the star? pushes down others. Let's ask God's mercy for the times that we are like the disciples 
and pray that we may have at least their wisdom of being embarrassed by our egotism. Lord, give me the strength to be humble and not to be caught up in myself. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I think we all think this is kind of cute, a little kid. But you know, little children are lovable and wonderful in, in our culture, but I think in that culture back then, they didn't, they didn't think people really were a bunch of value until you got to be a kind of an adult. So it's not quite as cute as we would think it might be, but the little child is very vulnerable. It's not the greatest. It still is. This is, of course, a very real problem. The children are very vulnerable. They can suffer greatly. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child, one such person who is really frail and vulnerable and easily manipulated and used and hurt, whoever receives and cares not to be me, but to care for someone who's very weak, or as the Holy Father says, on the margins, on the peripheries, which in that society and even our own is children can be there, but others as well, we can think of others. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. I'm not trying to be the greatest, says our Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God in our midst. He is the greatest, he is God, but he's not trying to be the greatest. He says, I'm like a little vulnerable child. Receive that little child who really doesn't have power or prestige or strength or anything, and you receive me. You'll not find me among the greatest of this world. You'll find me among the most vulnerable. And whoever receives, not me, but him who sent me, our Heavenly Father, the Lord God, is found in those most vulnerable. It is there we see the face of Christ. And maybe we can simply reflect upon that when we get especially into criticism of other people or fights with other people as we do when we're saying it's me, it's me, it's me. I am the greatest. Maybe we don't say it obviously so crudely. We do it in subtle ways. But when we do that, let's listen to the Lord Jesus and, and think of the people who are most vulnerable. And say that's where we find Christ. Not when we're trying to be pumping ourselves up as sort of special. Look in the face of each person, and especially the ones we criticize because they irritate our ego, maybe because what we see wrong in them is what we see most of all in our own hearts. That's why it just drives us crazy that their iniquity, which is just a mirror of our own, that's why we're so angry. Our egos clash. But when we're trying to do all that, let's think of a little child or someone very vulnerable. That's where we find Christ. And that's maybe where we find also see in the face of the person who irritates us, who 
offends our ego. Let's see the face of Christ there too. We see the face of Christ in everyone and then maybe we'd be a little more kind in the way we speak and the way we act and the way we relate to one another. So let's reflect upon that. He took a little child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child of my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he was not following us. Notice we didn't want to let him cast out demons in your name, Jesus, because he wasn't following us. Not he wasn't following you, but he wasn't following us. That's kind of narrow-minded, isn't it? They have a, first of all, they have a great sense of their own prestige amongst one another, and then as a group, they want to be, you know, kind of narrow-minded. Here's a man casting out demons in your name. We said, don't do that, no. Why? Casting out demons is a good thing to do. He was doing it in the name of Jesus. So why not? Because he wasn't following us. He didn't have the proper credentials. Well, you may see a certain point in that, but there's a little narrowness here. And Jesus said, do not forbid him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. It's actually, you know, he's not saying he's a great person. Oh, he's one of my friends you don't know about. Our Lord is a little more um, sharp than that. He's not saying he's wonderful. He's simply saying, well, you know, though not forbid him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon to speak evil of me. At least he's not going to attack us if he's doing something in my name. It's kind of minimum, but it'll do in a pinch. For he that is not against us is for us. And I think sometimes as we face this world of ours when I tell you, you know, it's getting rougher and rougher and we're, we're finding the, uh, the battles of life are pretty strong and difficult. We have to think of who is faithful to Christ and we need to not ask about other people in that, but have I, am I faithful to Christ? Am I really doing that? And not examine too much the credentials of other people. And if they're on, a, and sometimes even in our, in our, um, our battles of trying to deal with some of the evils in this world, you know, there are people who are, we disagree with in a lot of ways, but in some issues, they're pretty good. So let's not um, back off. We just say here, on this point, we work together. We've got to do more of that, I think. And our Lord is saying, you know, if he's not against us, he's for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose his reward. So we can't be too picky about credentials. You know, we should say, let's, what, what's going on here? And try then to work with people who we may not agree with and who may be wrong in some things and whatever. We don't even know their motivations. Remember St. Paul talks about Sometimes Christ is preached for, you know, jealousy and advancement or whatever, 
But as long as he's preached, let's thank God for that. And not sort of say, unless it's the purest. It's kind of like, you know, the, we don't want to be perfectionists in our life in Christ in any ways about our own life, but also about the way in which we proceed. Uh, there's often, uh, you know, they always say the excellence, the enemy of the good. If someone's doing some good, thank God for that. It may not be perfect. Certainly what we do isn't perfect, but thank God for that. Let's help them out a little bit, move on. Maybe we need to be, uh, because of the, the difficulty of the struggles we face, we probably need to have that. We do need to have that. Listen to our Lord in this. So as I read this, let's think of this in terms of the struggles in our society with various evils that are coming upon us. I can give you a few, I can think of them in the next little while, but I won't uh, go into that. Um, we can think of our own. And how can we be work together with people, even if they're not absolutely right on in terms of everything. Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's our Lord Jesus Christ speaking. It isn't often what we think of Jesus. We always, some more popular versions of our Lord that are in this world are kind of an artificial Lord. But this is what he's saying. One thing that he just, uh, how strong can he be to say, put a big stone around your neck and get thrown into the sea? That's the forceful way of putting it. And what is it that he criticizes so severely? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. If we hurt other people, if we cause others to go astray, that's a heavy burden upon our hearts. He says, better you put a millstone and be thrown into the sea if you do that. Each one of us, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, we are. We can't be caught up in ourselves. We gotta think of other people. And oh Lord, help us from never leading other people astray. We have to think of that in our, our mission in life, wherever it might be. I tell you, I think about it a lot as a bishop. You know, well, responsibility. But it's for all of us, too. You know, and you think of the, the, the crozier, kind of caring for other people, caring for the flock. And I, I don't suggest everyone get one of them. They're fairly expensive, and they're maybe a little awkward to keep in the car or something like that. <laughs> You know, I, I always say that when bishops go to bed, they have the flannel miter, you know, you kind of go like that. <laughs> then the, you tie the little flaps around your chin, and then you put the crozier and the crozier clip on the side of the bed, and you just go off to sleep. But, um, not really, just kidding. But, uh, but that responsibility for other people is symbolized in the crozier of a bishop. 
but each of us is responsible for others. Husband, wife, mother, father, brother, sister, parent, child, friend, parishioner. If any one of you causes one of these little ones, whoever it may be, to sin, better you be thrown into the sea with a big stone around your neck. I think it's kind of clear. So let us let's think about that. Lord, help us never to hurt other people or cause them by our bad example, perhaps, or by our failure to try to help, or by whatever we do to set up a situation which leads people to sin, or by what we don't do, or by what we do. Lord, help us not to cause other people to sin. Because if we do, better we were thrown into the sea with a big stone around our neck. Let's ask the Lord's forgiveness for any times, maybe not as dramatically as he's saying there, but any times we've ever done that. Let's pray the Lord to help us to always help other people to draw closer to Christ, not lead them backwards. Let's just ask the Lord in a repentant spirit for that. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Our Lord Jesus is speaking again quite clearly. Now, I, I think that we need to look at uh, you know, hyperbole here. He's not handing out knives and telling people to do that, but he's, he's making a point. If our hand comes to and cut it off, if your eye, better you go to, you know, you, if your eye causes you to pluck it out, better you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to go to hell. So we have to think anything that causes us to sin, anything that leads us away, get rid of it. Don't hang on to it. You know how often we can kind of fool ourselves? Oh, I've handled this before. Oh, I, you know, not such a big problem. Look, Fuck everyone, <laughs> listen up. You know, Father Tom the Confessor, give you a little advice here, right from the gospel, that if it hasn't worked in the past, it's not gonna work in the future. If there's something in our life, he uses the example of your hand, your leg, you know, leads you to sin or your eye, whatever it is. If you've been in a situation of, well, you know the basic thing we have, at, you know, um, the act of contrition, help me to avoid the near occasions of sin. So if you are, if you know in the past, if you've been in a certain place, you know you're going to slip and you can't resist because we are all weak, well then don't go there. It's too late when you're there because you've never been able to resist in the past, so why do you think you're going to resist in the future? Just don't go there. Get back a bit. Get away from the occasions of sin. And you and I know what they are. They're different for each one of us. 
For one person, maybe no problem at all. But for another, it's a very great problem. And so that's where we need to know the geography of our hearts. And that's also why it's a really good idea to get to confession regularly, not only to experience the gift of forgiveness, but by confessing our sins honestly, that's really all we're asked to do. We're not, it's not a memory test. After all, God doesn't need to know what our sins are. The priest may need to know to help us a bit, but mainly the point is that we tell all our sins so that we get to know what's happened, where we are. And that helps us too in the future. If going to this place, reading this book, whatever it may be, getting caught up in this pornography, or going to this place, knowing this person, staying around with them when we've known it's always caused us to sin, then back off. I think I've referred to this before. I think it was MacArthur or somebody. I think it was him in World War II. He said, the enemy, some of one general, I think in Australia said, we will fight the enemy in the very streets of our capital. And I think MacArthur said, well, I don't intend to fight the enemy in the streets of your capital. I'm going to fight him a thousand miles away. So, you know, this is like, you know, anything there? Let's just not think we are so foolish to say, I can go to this place when I know every single time I've done it, whether it be read this book, look at this TV channel, know this person, do this thing, whatever it may be, it's all different for each of us. I've never been able to do it successfully without getting into sin. So cut it off. It's as simple as that. Flee. And that's what he tells us. It's so true. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. You're gonna have that salt, that light, that fire. Pepper and darkness, fire, salt. All these things are really important. And so we're all going to be salted with fire. Now, I'm not too sure what that means, but I could probably pretend I do. But I don't know. Think about it. What does he mean? And I, I suspect we can kind of wrestle with this. That's one of the great things about these passages. You think, what does he mean? This, we've got to be kind of purified. It's like salt purifies and fire purifies. We've got to be salted with fire. And I think that's a good idea to think about that. You know, let those things within us that are destructive to us, he says in one sense, cut them off, cut them off. But here's another image. Let them be salted with fire. Let them be burned away. Let them be purified. Purify my heart, O Lord. Burn away from me all those things which are not of you. Take me, Lord. And sometimes that's a painful experience. Another image is the knife that cuts out 
the evil in our body, let's say, whatever it might be, it cuts to heal. Another image, be salted with fire. So we pray the Lord, look, I need to be purified. Help me, Lord, salt me with fire and help me burn away all those things within me or purify as salt does. Those things that are not worthy of the Lord, the things I cling to, those little secret things, those things that are pockets in my life that I kind of go to, that will hide under the things I put under the carpet, all those things that attract, that are really not worthy, the things that will not bear the presence of light. Salt them with fire, salt me with fire, get rid of those things. Or as he says earlier, cut them off. We all got our little sordid little treasures we try to cling on to. We don't have time in this short life of ours to get caught up in that garbage. Away with it all. So salt is good. He then makes the connection to salt. It's a memory thing. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you season it? We don't want it to go flat. We need to have that, that saltiness. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Like being at peace with one another. That goes back to, I'm number one. No, I'm number one. No, no. Let's have humility, be salted, be purified of our own little gods inside that are ripping, ripping us apart, all those little sordid things. Let me be salted in that, and then I will be at peace with other people. If my own heart is ripping away different things, I've got all these little things, I'm going to be in contest with others. What's inside affects what's outside. So he says, have salt in yourselves, be purified, and be at peace with one another. Well, there we are. First the inner purification, then the outer. And that's why we should get the confession. And that our own lives would be our communities. When we have something that's really out of whack inside of us, it affects the whole community, whether it be the family, the parish, the diocese, the universal church, the country, the city, whatever. The conversion of heart is the prelude to social peace. Little systems don't work. We've got to be salted within ourselves and then be at peace with one another. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he would not have anyone know it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they were silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. 
And John said to him, Teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. And be at peace with one another. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.